Good evening, good afternoon, good morning. Welcome to The Truth with Bill. Hi everyone, welcome back. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, all of our listeners for joining me. I see we have some new listeners. Uh, thank you all, welcome. Uh, last week uh, we, we missed a podcast, so I'm very excited to be here and, and do this podcast today. Uh, let's jump right into it. Uh, first off, uh, Nikolai Tesla. He said, quote, if you want to find the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. What is interesting is that all of life has just that, energy, frequency, and vibration. Our biological bodies are really quite amazing. They're made mostly of water, and as I'm talking about this, uh, there are electronic charges in my brain firing away, telling my muscles to work this way, to form words this way, forming thought and logic. All of this by electricity. Electricity produces a certain frequency. And what is even more interesting is that depending on what our biological bodies are doing will depend on the type of frequency that our biological bodies are omitting. And through stages of sleep, our frequencies change. Theta brain waves are seen during the first onslaught of REM sleep, and they continue to cycle through REM sleep. Theta brain waves happen during meditation, chanting, psychedelic usage, and deja vu. And deja vu is, is what I'd really like to speak about today. Um, my first experience with deja vu happened when I was a child. Uh, I'm sure all of us have these experiences. And, and this is what makes it interesting, is that all of us do this. So deja vu happened when I was a child, and I remember trying to explain it to an adult. And I, I suppose I received what most adults tell children when they ask about this. That it's something that just happens, no one really knows, etc., etc. Basically, there's no good answer. And we can't blame any of the adults, because even today the scientific community has no good answer. And as I grew, I paid attention to these experiences of deja vu. And I was certain that these moments seemed to happen before, and I had seen them in dreams. So I, I would realize that deja vu was happening, you know, setting, scene, it's familiar. And as soon as I would get that feeling that I've seen this before, it would automatically click, and I would remember the dream that this fraction of time came from. And sometimes these dreams would be weeks, months, the longest to date is roughly about three years of having a dream and then seeing it. But most of the time it's within a few weeks or a few months. And to be honest, I, I never really thought about it. Uh, as a kid, I, I just kind of thought, you know, it's just something that happens. And I think all of us are under that kind of impression. That it's just something that happens. We don't put much thought to it. And that's it. We let it go. 
And I kind of thought, well, if I'm seeing things in my dreams before they happen, I must be on the right path in life. And it wasn't until I got older that I was able to put a good amount of research on the topic. And I found that the scientific community disagrees that deja vu is from dreams. As a matter of fact, the scientific community believes that it's just our brain playing tricks on us, that we have perceived and seen so many things in life externally, that when our brain is digesting it through sleep, because there are so many things and it's chance and random, that surely we would perceive something happening in our waking state that had happened in our sleeping state. That they are common instances and they, quote, feel like they happened before. There's no doubt in my mind that deja vu comes solely from dreams, or better yet, theta brainwaves. I'm going to talk about a personal experience um, that, that happened uh, my last year of college. And uh, it, it applies to this topic. And I think, actually, I, I know all of you experience this. Some of you may realize it. And as I talk about it, some of you may remember it. Um, so I, I think you all will find it very interesting. So my last year of college, it, it was a very difficult one. Um, I had already had a degree, my uh, BA in creative writing, and I was uh, finishing uh, BS in environmental science. And I was trying to finish that degree very fast, as fast as I could, because why waste time, you know? You want to get out and, and do. And uh, so I had my last year, I had uh, five classes and two labs, for both of those last two semesters. And um, I would have two classes in a lab, and then I would have a 30-minute break, and then I'd have to go back and, and finish the rest of my day. So with this 30 minutes, I would eat something and go to my car and try to take a power nap. Uh, most of my classes were in the Arts and Science building, which had its own parking lot. And every day, by the time I got to my car, my eyes would already be closing as if my body knew that sleep was ensuing, and I think it did. And as soon as I lowered my driver's seat, I would be out. But it wasn't sleep that happened. My vehicle's driver's seat at the time, when pulled all the way back, felt very much like a zero-gravity chair. And just to note, I, I think it's important to try and describe everything that surrounded this, to see if there are any commonalities or, or anything. So the chair would go back and it would feel very much like a zero-gravity chair. It wouldn't take long until it started happening. And what I would feel felt like small turbines of energy running up and down my arms. And my body became very heavy, almost like sleep paralysis. I couldn't move. The small turbines, once my body was, was immobile, turned into waves, and those waves would roll up and down my spine. After every wave, it would get stronger and stronger until it would get to my head. And eventually, the wave would be so strong that it would force myself out of myself. And this sounds confusing, and it was very violent feeling. It felt like I was being ripped out of my body, 
and I couldn't move my body. I had no control and it was traumatic. And the amount of fear that ensued of being separated from myself was enormous. Like, I, oh my God, I have to get in myself. What am I doing? What's going on? And it was that fear that brought me back into myself. And I would wake up gasping like I had just entered my body for the first time. A big breath of, <gasps> and it freaked me out. <laughs> this happened every single day of that last year of college. I had a number of theories. I thought that maybe I was parked under some indigenous person's burial ground. I moved my car parking lots away, thinking it was the location. I remember having less time, and even with less time, it still happened. So I went back to my normal parking area. I couldn't figure this out. I thought maybe it was the amount of stress I was under from school. And I think it was a factor in that all I wanted to do was sleep, and my body was just exhausted. I think that helped in that way, but I don't think it was that. I thought maybe it was something biological. Maybe I'm sick. Maybe something's wrong with me. Well, this was many years ago, and so far I'm just fine. There was one other incident that was similar to this, but yet it was a different kind of circumstances. And I was young in my 20s. Um, I was dating someone, my first real relationship. And the relationship ended. And I remember um, we had said things to one another. Um, at the time, uh, very narcissistic. I, I was, I, I couldn't, I couldn't even hear the things that were saying because everything revolved around me and the things that were said just kind of laid on the surface and on the ride home, those things that were said started to sink in. And by the time I got home, <laughs> the things that were said were like, oh, wow, um, really, a you know what? And all I wanted to do was just go upstairs and emotionally break down and go to sleep. And I did just that. And the emotional part was very serious because that narcissistic behavior, the, the person who I thought the bill was in my 20s, was awful. And I saw this. And no one told me and I didn't know. And the words that were used really keyed in and really made me question myself. And this is why it was so emotional. One reason. The second reason is, with that person, I had defined myself with that person. And now I had lost that person. So my ego, who I saw myself with, was not the same. 
And as we know, when our ego gets damaged or drastically changed, like losing someone out of our life, it hurts really, really bad. And it is emotional pain and suffering. So this is what happened. And I was young. And being young, I didn't really know. And I, emotional breakdown, boom. And I remember just not caring about anything because I was just so upset. Nothing mattered. And I remember falling asleep, bawling. And then something happened. It wasn't just little turbines in my arms. These were the waves, automatically. And it didn't, there wasn't much time, like in college, where it would slowly start up. This kicked in, and myself shot out. And I saw myself against the ceiling. I couldn't believe what happened. I wasn't sure what happened. All I know is that I willed myself and somehow was able to turn myself around. So now not facing the ceiling, but facing myself who was sleeping in the bed. And I thought, oh my God, I really need to get back into my body. And through fear and will, somehow, someway, I was back in. Gasping for breath. These are unbelievable experiences, and I know I am not alone. I know with confidence we all experience deja vu in our dreams. We all experience theta brainwaves. And with these kinds of instances, I started doing more research. And what I found out was that these were called OBEs, or outer body experiences. And I found that OBEs happen during theta brainwaves. So, so far, we've seen deja vu, outer body experiences, happen in Theta. We've made note that Theta activity can be found in meditation, prayer, chants, hallucinogenics, religious, or with religious practices, rhythmic dance, drum circles. We can now stand firmly on our evolutionary consciousness and say that there is something going on with Theta frequency. Remember in the beginning when I quoted Nikolai Tesla, if you want to find the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. Energy. Our bodies are made of electricity. All of life. Every atom has an electronic charge. Ones with no charge are bridges for the pluses and minuses. We learned about electrons, neutrons, protons in school. These electronic charges then omit a frequency. And what is sound if not vibration? The earth itself has its own vibration or frequency. It is measurable and constant. And it is all very interesting. But what is the point? Well, the point is, along with the commonality of all biological life, being a vehicle for the fraction of the divine, all biological life also has a certain frequency, energy, and vibration. 
at certain frequencies, we can experience something fourth dimensional. Is deja vu our window from which our soul can see? And what is perplexing about deja vu is that it does indeed come from dreams. It comes from theta brainwaves. And we're able to see future events. Then we're able to look at our lives from a fourth dimensional perspective. And this assumes then that our lives are planned out with little freedom. But it also supports the concept of reincarnation. If the soul is eternal, then the amount of biological lives it has operated makes no difference. There would be an infinite number of freedoms, but then there would also be an infinite number of tests that each biological body would have to go through. Because in the very first podcast we asked, what is the function of the divine? We said it would be logical to think that the divine is after making more of itself. What is below is also above, or what is above is also below, however you would like to think about it. But what kind of tests do you think we need to go through? Would it be tests that make us more like the divine? Are we, in essence, being raised by the divine through each biological life we live? One of the first tests, and the most difficult, should be the most obvious. Who is the I? You have to know yourself before you can know anything else. The I, for me, is not Bill, or anything Bill has attached himself to in the past to make the perceived Bill more likable, comfortable, or any of the other things that can be attached to the ego of Bill. Bill is simply a fraction of the divine, residing in a biological body. Everything this biological body perceives is false because it cannot view this world in its true reality. Like an ant on a skyscraper, it all looks like sidewalk from this size. But there are some seemingly insignificant tests we go through daily. And those are influences of the mind. Influences of the mind alter our perception. However real, quote-unquote, we can perceive our reality under normal circumstances would be less if our body-mind are not 100% functioning to their ability. There is a reason for this biological form. When we discuss mental influences, we usually think about alcohol or drugs right away. But these are not the influences we will talk about today. Today we will see sadness, anxiety, fear, anger, and all the other words we use to define what we are, quote, feeling. Feeling is in quotes because it's not something we feel like a stomach ache or a headache. Feeling is inaccurate. Hi, sweetie. You're mentally experiencing these feelings because you're under the influence of them. The influence of these feelings affects how you think, how you act and behave, and how you speak. And I think an example is in order. I'm driving to work one day. 100 feet ahead, the light changes red. I take my foot off the gas and coast to the light. Why waste gas, brake pads, etc., just for a red light? I'm not 20 feet from the light, and someone from the passing lane zips in front of me to be the first at the, at the red light and flips me off. Now I'm angry. 
I used my brakes hard, everything went flying. All of this so the person can be in, in front at the red light. The light turns green and we're off. I speed up to the car and pass it, giving the driver the middle finger on my way by. And now the driver has felt my pain and I should feel justified, but I still carry that anger because my mind is under the influence of anger. And now he is under the influence of anger. I'm still angry when I get to work, as is this other driver. Both of us explode at some random person at work because we are both under the influence. The person or persons we blow up to are not the type to get angry and stand their ground. They are the type that get angry and keep it in. They both have families at home. And when they blow up from being under the influences of anger at work, at home towards their children. And now their children are raised in some kind of dysfunctional household. And we could see the domino effects of the mind under the influence of anger. And it is not just anger. Sadness works the same way. Fear works the same way. And I could see someone from the back raising their hand ready to scream, but what about happiness? To that I say happiness too. But how can happiness have a negative influence on the mind? Well, what do you define as happiness? What truly makes you happy and is guaranteed happiness for eternity? Does your happiness have an expiration date on it? If it does, it will lead to pain and suffering. When put like that, I think of a comedian, Daniel Tosh, who said, quote, I love it when people say money cannot buy happiness. To them, I say, ever see a sad person riding a jet ski? Fair point. I would say probably not within the first month of ownership, but let's play it out. You buy a jet ski and you love it. The first month, it's great. You notice a little less cash in your wallet because sure, gas for boats and jet skis is a little more costly, but it's worth it. The jet ski has to be pulled on a trailer and the trailer is kept in your yard. Kind of an eyesore, but it makes you happy. Even an eyesore, or I'm sorry, even an eyesore like this is a symbol of status. Month three. The kids are done with the jet ski. The novelty is worn off. They wanted to and don't want to ride together. The wife enjoys it with you, but you can't leave the kids at home. So it rarely happens that you both get to enjoy it together. Month four. The jet ski sits in the yard and should be painted pink to resemble flamingo yard flare because that is what it's beginning to look like. Weeds and grass grow around it and now it is really an eyesore. Month six. Your wife asks you to sell the jet ski but you tell her how next season you'll enjoy it again. Now your wife is not under the same influence of happiness because this doesn't make her happy. What is making her happy is seeing you happy. So her thought process not being under the influence of this object is much more clearer. Month 18. We are now in season and the jet ski has not been thought of. Year 3. You finally are ready to sell the jet ski. You put it up for sale. No one wants a three-year-old jet ski that has not seen water 
or I'm sorry, that has only seen water for its first three months of purchase. The next person to receive happiness from it is your grandchild when he is playing outside in the yard pretending to be on a jet ski. And possibly he was told to be on the jet ski because his parents were under the influence of anger and told him to go play outside. So when are we without influence of the mind? The truth is, we rarely are. And we rarely, oh, I'm sorry, we, we rarely are until we realize what we put ourselves through. It is hard work trying to keep our minds from the influences of others and how they make us feel. But why do we feel anything? Because it stabs our ego. And we see our ego as the I. My ego is who I have made Bill to be. And if my ego gets crossed, I am immediately offended. I will say, when we discussed what truly makes you happy, and is that happiness eternal? For me, it is this. Sharing ways of looking at life. Sharing ways of being the I you have always been. Helping people out of their pain and suffering. It sounds very cliched and we've heard it before. But if you keep the divine on your mind and that is the influence of everything you do, it is eternal. There's no expiration date. It changes how you live, how you think something to look into. So that was our podcast today. Uh, before I go, I do want to share something else interesting that we all do and have done. Uh, maybe when you were a child getting ready for school, uh, you, let's say you had summer vacation, school was starting in a week, you're getting ready, you have everything, you know that you have to wake up at 6.30. So the night before, you set your alarm for 6.30, and you're excited, you can't wait, so you go to bed early, and you fall asleep. And when you wake up, you wake up at 6.30? No. No, you don't. You wake up at 6.25, 6.27, maybe 6.29, right before your alarm goes off. Almost as if you knew it was time for you to get up. And this would happen for me all of the time. As a matter of fact, I never need an alarm. All I have to do before I go to sleep is say, I need to get up at this time. Whatever time it is. And I will usually wake up five minutes before that time. And it could be any time. Any time at all. If I'm taking a nap, I could say, I have to wake up in 45 minutes. And I'll wake up in 42 minutes. And every single one of us does this. We all do it. The only times it is interrupted is if we're under the influence of something. You know, if you took uh, a Benadryl or maybe had something to drink. Those kind of things interrupt our consciousness. And what do you think that is? What is watching the clock before it goes off to then wake you up? How is that possible? 
Try it. Tonight, when you go to sleep, go to sleep and make sure you're not under any kind of influence of anything. And say to yourself, I have to wake up tomorrow at whatever time you like, 7.30. 7.30. Say it to yourself three times before you go to sleep. And I bet you, I bet you, you will wake up at least five minutes before that time. You will not wake up past that time. You absolutely will not. Give it a shot. So thank you all for listening. Uh, I've enjoyed it today. Um, Out-of-body experiences. uh, These things are great and they they affect us all. Deja vu, we all experience it. It happens to us all the time. And yet we don't talk about it. We shrug it off like it's nothing. It has no meaning. I think it does. I think all of the answers are right under our nose, and we just need to pay attention to them. We need to think about them differently. Thank you all for listening. I love you all. Have a great, great week. This is The Truth with Bill.